This morning I want to take you to a passage of scripture that is probably one of the most loved passages in the whole Bible. If you were to ask the man on the street of uh, just one scripture that he would know, the scripture we're turning to this morning, and I invite you to join me in turning there to Psalm 23. Psalm 23 would probably be one of the very first passages on his lips. It's one of the best-known, best-loved passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. And it's not just a song, it's a prayer. So I want you to actually join me in a moment in praying this whole psalm back to God as we use it as our opening prayer before the message this morning. But I want you to realize that as we're praying this song, it's not also just a wistful longing for some kind of a fairy tale existence to come true. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, like some faintly glowing city through the mist. No, this is a certainty, a confidence of a reality that is going to come to pass if you know the shepherd. And it's also very important to realize as we pray this together in just a moment, that this is not really primarily, interestingly, a look in the rear view mirror saying, wasn't God good to me in the past? There are psalms that emphasize that idea, that look in the rear view mirror and say, study your history, O Israel, look at your personal history, O Christian, and realize how God has worked to bring you to this place. But that's not primarily Psalm 23. Psalm 23, instead of looking in the rear view mirror, mostly looks through the windshield of life and looks at what you're experiencing both presently and what you will yet experience to come. So I'd invite you to join me in praying this psalm. Again, I'd, I encourage you to open your Bible, turn on your phone, whatever it is and, uh, that you use right now. We're going to use the, verse, uh, the verses actually on the screen so we can all read them together. And I'd like you to read them with me here this morning as we pray them back to God to start our service. Let's begin to pray by reading these words together and really read them aloud. These are pretty significant things for you to say as a personal affirmation to your shepherd. Let's read together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, if it weren't for the fact that we wanted to say those words together, we could have probably almost recited them. Many of you could. You've heard them preached. You've heard them at funerals. You've heard them 
all through your Christian life. But this morning, I want to help you step back from this psalm just a little bit to understand something more of what is taking place here. Maybe just a reminder of some of the great realities that really are embodied in this one thought. The Lord is my shepherd. When we look at Psalm 23, I want to help us break it down some and and realize that this is one sheep's song. So now when I say one sheep's song, I'm wondering if you're noticing the same thing as you just finished reading the text as I noticed. Did you notice that this is not about a whole bunch of sheep? Now that's unusual. Sheep are in flocks, right? There are flocks of sheep, just like we're a flock of people here today, sheep people. But this psalm is not talking about all the people in the flock. It's not talking about all the other sheep. It's talking about one sheep and one shepherd. This is a one-to-one connect that's taking place here. Notice how it reads. The Lord is our shepherd. No, no, that's not what it says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And all the way through to the very end, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is intensely personal between a sheep and his shepherd. Now it's interesting that this is not written from the shepherd's perspective. It's written all about the shepherd, but it's like the sheep itself is singing. You've maybe wondered what it would sound like for a sheep to sing. I think of Ba Ba Black Sheep, have you any wool? And you know he sings back, right? Yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags full. One for my master, one for the name, one for the little girl lives down. That's not what this song is like. This song is actually the true words of a sheep, of a person who lives under the care and protection of his perfect shepherd. And it's like all the other sheep in the flock have just disappeared from view. Now, I want you to understand that it's not because there's no value to the context in which we live as a body of believers, as a community of faith. It's not because it's not important that we live together in fellowship, but it's most important that we live in connection to one, and that's to our shepherd. You know, there will be days when I will disappoint you. There will be days when you will disappoint someone else. There will be times when Everyone around you seems like they've just jumped off the cliff and have left you the only one sane and sensible standing. But your shepherd never will because he is always with you. So this is just one sheep singing to his shepherd and recognizing the ways that he has blessed him And really, this is very important. It's at the moment when we start looking around at the other sheep, typically, that bad, bad problems occur, like like, uh, pride, like feeling superior to the other sheep, like 
envy, wondering why I don't have what the other sheep actually has, wondering why others aren't suffering as I have to suffer. Yes, those are the kinds of sins that occur when I look at you. Now, it's great to look at you, and I really enjoy fellowshipping with you, but if I'm measuring my life off of you, I've got a really big problem. And, and, it, and it goes two ways, right? Because I'll have a problem with some of you because I feel like I'm better, and some of you because I feel like I'm worse. Right? I mean, you know, take a look around. Isn't that about what you... No, don't do it. But, uh, but I mean, isn't that what really happens in life? Essentially, if you look at just other people, you're going to measure yourself, and you're going to automatically have a categorical ranking for where you fit. The pecking order, I'm afraid. Right? This takes all of that away. Because you compare yourself to your shepherd alone, the Lord is my shepherd. And the pecking order is pretty clear. It's the Lord, and I'm just his sheep. So this is one sheep's song, but it's more than that. It's one sheep's song of satisfaction. If you look at that next, next line in the passage, the Lord is my shepherd, David captures the idea with these three, four words, these four simple words that summarize the entire rest of the song. I shall not want. I shall not lack. I will not need anything. Now, David goes on to enumerate what that looks like, but it begins with this one great sense of satisfaction. So it's a sheep singing about how satisfied he is. Have you ever gone to the grocery store hungry? Not good, right? Not if you're trying to watch your pocketbook. Because what happens is everything in the grocery store looks delicious and worthy of spending your money. You go past the broccoli, and it's like, bring home the broccoli. I'm starving hungry. Right? I mean, everything in the store looks good, and you're ready to spend money on anything because you're so hungry. But when we, and we do the same thing as we walk through this world, things that are trash, things that are garbage, things that shouldn't attract my attention somehow become very attractive and suddenly take on a life of their own when I'm not satisfied in my shepherd. It's really because of that that the world is so attractive. If you really put the shepherd up and his blessings and bounties against all that the world has to offer, if you really do that, consciously work that process out and see the reality of it, there's really no comparison. But if you don't, if you live in a disconnect from the shepherd, all those things that seem so valuable out there to other people somehow become very apparently valuable to me. That's how money gets to be such a big issue. That's how a house gets to be such a big issue. It's how my status, it's how my job, it's how all of those things become so overwhelmingly significant to me. Because I'm not actually living pre-satisfied. I'm going through the world shopping hungry. And as I walk through the world and see what it has to offer, it's like, yeah, boy, I wish I had that. David says, that's not the way it is for this sheep who is singing to his shepherd this song. Because I shall not want. There's just no lack to me. 
Now, you might say perhaps that's because this sheep really lived such a charmed existence. He really had such a wonderful life that, I mean, why wouldn't he love his shepherd? But look at the psalm. That's not what it says. It begins by a fairly pastoral scene and goes on to talk about the valley of the shadow of death, about enemies, about daily needs, about a long journey to a place he's never been before. It wasn't just a bed of roses, but the sheep was satisfied because he knew that in the process, his shepherd would meet all his needs. So again, step back for a moment and realize that the sheep is not saying, I already have all my needs met. That's kind of the way I like to live. I want to make sure we have enough money in the bank that no matter what happens, we're okay. Or when we've lived primarily on our glass business, it was having, I liked to have about six months of jobs in the pipeline. And from a business standpoint, that's a wise idea. But if I'm taking my security from that, that's a problem, right? So sometimes God has given us lots of jobs in the pipeline, and sometimes we have literally lived job to job. And then sometimes we've lived without a job. Yeah, you've been there too. So can you be satisfied at that point? This psalm asserts that you can. Because it's not about all that you already have in the bank that the shepherd has given you, but about the fact that the shepherd himself will provide as you go through the need. Yeah, in the process, in the process, you will experience the provision of any need or lack. So this is one sheep's song of satisfaction in the shepherd. Really what we're talking about is contentment. Hebrews chapter 13, a favorite passage of mine, puts it this way in verse 5. It says, keep your life free from the love of money. Sounds like what we're talking about here, right? No lack. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Now, interestingly, we don't know exactly what the people to whom the author of Hebrews was writing had. But it probably was at least less than some of us would desire. Because it was in earlier in the book of Hebrews that he said, you've experienced the plundering of your goods. Okay. Now, most of us haven't been plundered recently. Might have been robbed, but plundering is a little different. These people were suffering for Jesus' sake. They were even having the things that made them comfortable in life taken away from them by force. They were being plundered. And it's in this condition that the author of Hebrews says, don't love money. Be content with what you have because he, the Lord Jesus, has said, here it is. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So what's the one great secret? Well, it's the same secret as in Psalm 23. If you have Jesus, you have enough. He is all that's needed. The one source of true contentment. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Sounds a great deal like what verse 4 that Ruth Anna read for us just a few moments ago says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the place of greatest need, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You'll never forsake me. You'll never leave me. 
It's also really one sheep's song of satisfaction in the shepherd. Now, we've talked about this some, but I want to give you the context into which Psalm 23 falls so that you can appreciate more fully how this fulfills the idea of the shepherd himself being the source of satisfaction. You see, Psalm 23 is the center point, really, of a three-part biographical sketch of the shepherd. Let me show it to you. Psalm 22, you see the shepherd get this, suffering and dying. Psalm 22, the shepherd is suffering and dying. Listen to verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Down to verse 14, it says, I am poured out like water, and all my Bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Verse 17, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Anyone want to guess who that's talking about? That's the Lord Jesus told about in Psalm 22. These, in fact, these opening words of Psalm 22 are the very words that Jesus spoke from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the shepherd's suffering and dying. The prelude to what we're going to hear in Psalm 23 It ends in verse 27 of chapter 22, not ends, but kind of wraps the idea up. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And then in verse 31, they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. God, the shepherd, through the Lord Jesus, had a mission to accomplish through suffering and dying that nothing else could do. And you'll notice that the very opening of that psalm, Psalm 22, why have you forsaken me, is the very thing that Psalm 23 assures us we never need to fear. That's because Jesus was forsaken by his Father. So that you never will be. Yeah. Jesus, the forsaken, suffering, shepherd, dying for you and me. But the other side of the context of Psalm 23 is, of course, Psalm 24. And so if you look at Psalm 24, you find something very, very different here. You find the shepherd ruling and reigning. Beginning in verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Listen then to verse 7 all the way to the end. And when you listen to this, I want you to picture what's taking place. Very likely, this is a song for the ark coming into the city of Jerusalem, or possibly into the temple. And you need to picture the fact that into this ancient fortress, there are huge, massive doors. Giant, castle-sized doors. 
And on one side of the doors, on the inside of the city, there is a choir. And there's another choir attending the entourage of the king who comes to the city. And this choir is singing antiphonally back and forth. Okay? You know what antiphonal means? It's a choir response, a choral response. So one choir is singing. And this is what the first choir sings as they attend the king and his entourage. They say, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. So it's like, let the king come in. Now picture this. That's the first part of the song. Picture this. These doors are huge. But they're not big enough. Really? These are massive doors. Armies march in and out of these doors. Yes, but they are not grand enough for the king of kings. So this, this choir is saying, no, bigger, bigger. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory will come in. Now from inside the fortress, the answer who is this king of glory? Why should we let him in? The answer. The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. And again, the cry comes out from the entourage of the king. The song, lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. From inside the gates, one last cry. Who is this king of glory? And the answer is short and sweet. The Lord of hosts, the captain of armies, he is the king of glory. So gates too small in this massive ancient fortress for the king of kings, the captain of armies, for this one to come in. He is the shepherd ruling and reigning. So from the shepherd suffering and dying, Psalm 22, to the shepherd ruling and reigning, Psalm 24, and in the middle we find Psalm 23. The shepherd, get this, leading and guiding. One, Chapter 22, a remembrance of what the shepherd, from our perspective, past the cross, has already done. Looking back and recognizing that the shepherd has done everything that was necessary to satisfy the Father. He took the wrath that was meant for me on the cross. He took the punishment that was meant for you at the cross. Then looking forward to what will yet come when the king of glory, too great, for any door of any magnitude and any splendor to come in, to rule, to reign forever. But we've got a problem because we still live here. That's why Psalm 23 is so important. Psalm 23 is one sheep's song of satisfaction in his Shepherd, who in the process of living between the cross and the crown, in the cro process of living between the redemption and the glory, 
between the suffering and the ultimate satisfaction in this process, the shepherd walks with me. Yes, this king of glory. Yes, this suffering servant. Yes, this shepherd walks with me and walks with you through all the ordinary events of life that trouble and distress that make life sometimes seem like it's too hard to go on. He walks with you, the king, the servant, the shepherd. So we love Psalm 23 because we know in our heart of hearts that for all that is yet to come and for all that has passed before, we still have to walk today. And so Psalm 23 brings us through this great satisfaction in the shepherd to one more important observation that I want to show to you this morning. We're going to trace the trail through Psalm 23 and show you just how the path works as it walks through the psalm. And you can see that it actually moves down from ordinary life to painful trials. Watch the process. Verse 1, we're finding the sheep where? In a pasture, beside still waters. He's having his soul restored by his shepherd. He's being directed. He's being led in paths of righteousness. But he goes down to the valley of the shadow of death and he goes down to the place where enemies surround him on every side. Yeah, his life didn't get better, but harder. So in one sense, if you're coming to Psalm 23 as a panacea for all your trials and troubles, well, you've come to the wrong place because Psalm 23 does not promise a lack of troubles or trials. It just doesn't offer a trouble-free life. Some might say, well, if a person is really following the shepherd, if he or she is on the path of righteousness, surely bad things and difficult circumstances will just drop away. But that wasn't the experience of the sheep in Psalm 23. It got harder, life did, rather than easier. But get this. While life is getting harder, and this is what you must see out of Psalm 23, while life is getting harder the joy is getting greater. Watch it. Watch what it says in Psalm 23. This is amazing. He begins again in this scene of peace, a pastoral scene, sheep and pasture and shepherd and still waters. But he moves from that to comfort, to a personal connectedness with his shepherd whose rod and staff are literally personally comforting him. And it goes beyond that in verse 5, to the shepherd now preparing a table before him while the enemies are surrounding. No, the enemies are still there. The troubles are still on every side. They didn't just disappear. It wasn't like, well, the shepherd showed up and there's no more problems. Wrong. Lots of problems on every side. But in the middle of those problems, the shepherd spreads a lavish feast for his sheep he anoints his sheep 
very personal action here with oil. And says the psalmist, get the joy in this, my cup overflows. You've had children, some of you. How does it feel when the kids pour a glass of milk? Stop, right? The shepherd in this case does not stop. He just keeps pouring the blessing, the lavish blessing upon blessing upon blessing until you just overflow with the joy of what God is doing. But it's what God is doing in painful trials. Yes, God is at work. Not to just take away your trials. He can. And if it's the right time and place, he will. But what he does very many times, and what he did for the sheep in Psalm 23 was not to remove the trials, but instead to use the trials to overflow the sheep with the joy of personal connectedness to the shepherd. We rejoice in trouble, David asserts, because the Lord is with us in the fire, because he is going to take us to his house forever. James has a parallel thought in chapter 1 of that short book and says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faithful faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Just like Psalm 23, lacking nothing. James says, essentially, we rejoice in difficulty because God is at work in us to make us complete. But can I tell you that there are times when it's hard to remember that. And so we come back to what David says in Psalm 23 and say, even when I can't understand, even when I have no idea how it is that this is working anything good in me, I take refuge in the shepherd alone. I've heard a suffering saint talk this way, and maybe you have too, to talk about the joy of walking through a trial with the shepherd as being so great that they were almost sorry for the trial to end. I'm almost sorry to leave this trial because in it, I've known Jesus as never before. Is that possible? I think Psalm 23 tells us that it is. That it's possible going down through life, going through the difficulties, to actually experience overflowing joy. Because the Lord is with us. Because the shepherd is caring for his sheep. So on a grand overview... Psalm 23 is really one sheep's song of satisfaction in his shepherd. And it's really one sheep's joy on the trail of trial on his way toward home. We heard a beautiful testimony of this last week right here. Sue Lunsford stood up, and you remember what she said. But let me remind you, she said, very honestly, in essence, the trial is real. Did you hear that last week? Did she say, you know what, pain doesn't hurt anymore. I don't mind the fact that we're doing chemotherapy. No trouble on this new medication. Did she say any of that? I didn't hear it. Because it's a real trial. 
Pain still hurts. Troubles are still real. But she went on to say, overflowing, essentially, even though I don't understand. I trust the Lord and believe he is doing something good. That's not an exact quote. But can we say that that was essentially what she communicated last week? It was a powerful testimony of Psalm 23 before we even got there this week. But that's what we experience. When we hear that, what we're hearing is someone saying, you know what? I don't get it. I don't understand how all the trials stack up, why they have to occur, why to me? But you know what? I do know the shepherd, and I know that he's doing what's good. It's a pretty amazing reality. But David doesn't leave us just with this elevated philosophy way back from, from 100 yards away, just alone. He takes us right down into the nitty-gritty of the things that take place in my experience and in your experience where we have need in ordinary life. Let me show it to you. This psalm is, is captured on either side by two great pillars. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. Verse 6, I will live with him, with my shepherd forever. These are the two great pillars that contain this psalm. But within it are six, depending on how you break it down, we'll call it six, six different specific ways that God does this shepherding, that the Lord Jesus shepherds us. And it's really important that we get specific enough because it's in the specifics that we live. It's in the specifics that Jesus satisfies our needs. You know, specifics, um, when you aren't specific enough, it's kind of like having a New Year's resolution, I'm going to lose weight this year. But if that's all you say, how far is that going to take you when ice cream goes on sale? Or, or it's like being not specific enough and saying, I'm not going to be angry this year. Uh, how helpful is that when the kids track mud across your freshly mopped floors? Or saying, I'm not going to wallow in self-pity this year. How does that help when your friend is promoted and you're overlooked? You have to be specific enough or it doesn't do much to help you. We have to get the truth on the ground where we're going to keep on track when everything in our experience distracts and attempts to derail us. So that's what David does here in these six things. First of all, he says there are some green pastures and still waters. What does that speak to that the shepherd does for us? He provides. This is his provision. The Lord is my shepherd. He provides for me. Is there something that you need? Some place where you don't have everything that seems necessary? Your shepherd binds himself to provide for you. Do you need food? Do you need a place to stay? Do you need something to wear? Your shepherd says, I provide for you. I make you lie down in green pastures. I lead you beside the still waters. And he goes on to say he restores our soul. That's an amazing idea. Actually, it's in the sense of strength. He provides strength in our soul, is there somewhere that you don't have what it takes to meet your circumstances? Boy, I mean, if there's not, I think you probably aren't looking hard enough. 
some place where you come just a little bit short or maybe a whole bunch short of the personal resources to meet what the day calls for. Your shepherd binds himself to provide you the strength that you need. He restores my soul, says the sheep in this psalm, Psalm 23. Philip Keller, in his very famous book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, uses the idea here to capture the concept of a cast sheep. A cast sheep was a sheep that, I probably shouldn't show you what it looks like, but uh, a cast sheep would be flat on its back. Maybe it was too heavy with wool, maybe it was in lamb, maybe it was overweight. It would lie down in some hollow or depression of the ground and end up completely on its back with its all four legs in the air flailing uselessly, totally unable to turn itself over again. There was no way out. No way out but for the shepherd to come and turn the sheep over. Again, for the shepherd to restore his soul. There was just no other way. There couldn't be any other sheep to do it, and they didn't have minds to do that anyway. The shepherd had to be the one to bring that sheep back from its position of being cast on its back. I, I gave my poor parents a bit of a trial on this one when I was growing up. They read My dad read this book to us, and I would go cast on a number of occasions, and then they'd have to come turn me over and set me back up again. And... But I've never forgotten the idea of a cast sheep, a completely helpless animal, legs flailing in the air, waiting for just one who could provide what was needed for his soul to be restored, for that sheep to be brought back again. At that place of inability or inadequacy or vulnerability, that's where you're cast and where you need your soul restored. Psalm 138, another of my personal favorites, says in verse 3, on the day I called, so here's a sheep in trouble, on the day I called, I've got a problem, I'm calling shepherd, 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 on the day I called, you answered me. But listen to how the shepherd answered, because in Psalm 138, the psalmist tells us what he says, in a sense. My Strength of soul you increased. Now, it seems like, shepherd, shepherd, there's trouble, and he comes and beats the wolf off. Well, he does do that, but that's not all he does. In the case of restoring your soul, he comes and restores you to a place where you are back on your feet again. So, the shepherd restores our soul. He gives us strength at the point of greatest need. And he leads us in paths of righteousness. That's really direction. So provision, strength, direction. These are specific ways that the shepherd ministers to his sheep. Are you unsure of where to go or what path to take? This is for you. In verse 3 of chapter 23, he leads me in paths of righteousness. You'll notice that this is the one time that that idea is expanded by the psalmist. You could have expected expansions through any numbers. He leads me in green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures because of this reason or that reason. But he doesn't do it except for here. And here he says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Can I tell you that the shepherd's reputation rides on his care for his sheep? And if that's true, and it is, how likely is it that the shepherd's going to let you down? that he's not going to direct you, that he's not going to lead you in paths 
of righteousness? Is it likely that he's going to just let you go? In John 17, really almost a commentary, Jesus speaking to his father about his sheep says, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. And listen to Jesus' boast. This is a boast. I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost. That's what he says. Jesus is boasting to his father, you entrusted sheep to me, and I, the shepherd, have guarded them, and not one is lost. His reputation rides on that reality. He never let one go missing, except the son of destruction that the scriptures might be fulfilled. That's what a shepherd's life is made of. That he cares for those sheep. That he's not a hireling, as we heard about in John chapter 10, who just doesn't care about the sheep because he doesn't own them. No, this is the shepherd who cares, who leads, who guides, and who does it because his own reputation is at stake. You can cry out to him on that basis for direction. Oh, shepherd, I need direction. It's your reputation that's at stake in my life. I need to know what you want. Lead me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. He goes on to say, you use your rod and your staff to protect me. And it's more than just protection, but this is protection that we're experiencing. Are you in deep trial? See, no way out. A box canyon with no way to escape. Well, embrace the shepherd's rod and the shepherd's staff. Yes, that may mean chastening, but in chastening, he's reminding you that you belong to him, that you are his sheep. And then stand still and wait for him. He will protect you with all the power of his invincible life. He goes on to say, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Really, this is peace. Peace when surrounded by foes. Are you distraught and unable to rest? Don't raise your hands. I know that's true for some. Ever lacking peace? Yes. In Psalm 3 another of David's psalms, he comments on this very idea. Psalm 3 is written when David is fleeing from Absalom, his son. The nation has risen up against him, and he is running, literally running, for his life. And this is what David says in Psalm 3, reflecting on that event. He says this in verses 5 and 6, I lay down and slept. Hello, you did what? David says, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Huh. Peace. Peace in the middle of conflict so great. On the inside, David was torn to shreds. On the outside, he was likely to be lynched. The people were against him. He was running for his life, and he says, I went to sleep because the Lord sustained me. Can the shepherd do that for you? He promises in Psalm 23 that he can and that he will. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. That's a testimony to abundance. In your place of scarcity, Jesus, the shepherd, meets you with abundance speaking to people who were looking for supply in other places in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 
Paul makes this amazing statement to the abundance that we have in our shepherd, the Lord Jesus. He says this, So no, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. You have everything you need abundantly. Jesus. If he's your shepherd, count on him for abundance. But I've omitted from what we've talked about so far the threefold cord that really twines the whole idea together through this. These are the specifics. These are the things that the shepherd does to meet the particular needs of his sheep. But I want to show you that there's a cord that winds it all together. Here's what it looks like. You lead me. You are with me. You follow me. It would be one thing to have all of our individual needs met. And it's easy to get locked into the idea of separating our shepherd out into a number of individual parts. This is my leader. This is my, this is my provider. Uh, this is my peace giver. This is the one who meets me when I'm in scarcity and want. This is the, that's good, but it's not enough. We need one who is a through-and-through through shepherd to whom we can relate, whose very presence is, according to Hebrews chapter 13, all that we need. To just divide things up would be a little bit like me saying about my wife, this is the woman who makes my meals. She does make me meals, so I'm not lying. She makes me good meals, and I'm quite satisfied. But that's not all that she is to me. Or if I, said, if I said, you know, this is the woman who teaches our children, or this is the woman who does the books for our company, or, or this is the woman who keeps the household running. All of those are true things about my wife and many others. But they don't really catch the idea. It might be more effective to say, this is my friend, my lover, my companion. She's the one who's walking through life with me. That's what the shepherd just said to you. That's what the shepherd says to you in Psalm 23. I'm the one who's walking through life with you more closely than the closest, the one who will hold you together in any need. Has there been something left out? Maybe, maybe we come up with some needs like, well, I don't know if that one's in Psalm 23. Well, first of all, it probably is, but even if it's not, even if we can't find it there, we have the one great reality that holds it all together. All of these things, all of these supplies are found in one. He is the one who leads us. He is the one who is with us in our darkest hour, and he is the one who follows us forever and ever. It's important to know what's following you as terrifying as the future may be, what's just behind you that you can't see is perhaps even scarier. Uh, we raised some ducks at one point in time, and ducks are not fearsome animals most of the time. One of the ducks was a darling little drake duckling that got named Eric. He was, we thought, a runner duck, and so he got named after Eric Little, the famous runner from Britain, and uh, I think from Scotland, in the 
Olympics who wouldn't run on the Sundays and so forth. Anyway, he got, this was Eric the Duck. And Eric the Duck was darling as a duckling. And he was handsome when he grew up. But he took on a really bad habit. Because Eric, <laughs> with those floppy webbed feet, would sneak out of any place just behind you. And you could hear pop, 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 pop. As he's coming, making ominous noises, ready to grab the backs of your knees. I had goosebumps, no, duck bumps, over and over and over from that duck. We finally sold him to some unsuspecting soul. But the <laughs> it's important to know what's coming behind you. And do you know that Psalm 23 tells you what's coming behind you? Psalm 23 says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. So in front of me, I have the shepherd providing. And behind me, I have the shepherd who has wrapped himself in mercy who is enrobed in goodness, and it's this shepherd who follows me, making my footsteps glow with goodness and grace. No fear from what follows me, says this sheep in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. But I think some of you might ask a very important question at this point and say, so that's great, what am I supposed to do about it? And I'll be honest, this is the place where I struggled most in preparing this message this morning. And I know that we're past time, so it'll be fast. What are you going to do about the fact that the Lord is your shepherd? That he really meets all of your needs? What are you going to do? And, and I wonder, as we come to that, if maybe we're asking something of the wrong question, at least for this psalm. Because look at what the psalm says. First of all, it's not filled with imperatives. It says simply that if you're to look at the things that you do, it says you are to not lack and you are to not fear. But they're not imperatives. Did you catch that as we looked at it? They're not commands. Don't lack. They're not commands. Don't fear. Now, we're told other places not to fear, right? Yes, we are. But here, that's not the emphasis. The emphasis is you have a shepherd, and because you do, you don't lack. Because you have a shepherd who is with you in the darkest of dark places, because you have this shepherd, you never need to fear. So in one great sense, the responsibility for the sheep's well-being rests with the shepherd alone. He says, let me take the full weight of responsibility. All the things that you are concerned with, all the things that trouble you, all of your process of life. Let me handle it because I'm very capable of taking care of you. What are you supposed to do about it? Well, I think we get to trust what he's doing. We actually get to believe that what he is doing is good enough because he's our shepherd who loves us. And it's in John chapter 6 verse 29 that we see what Jesus says to people who were coming looking for something physical, something tangible, for food, in fact, in John chapter 6. And they said, what should we do to work, do the works of God? And he answers this very simple way. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So here it is, says Jesus. You want to know what you're going to do to work the way I want to work, that, that really works God's works? Here it is. Big sum total. Grab everything you've got, put it in one suitcase. This is it. Believe. On him. 
Boom, he is sent. Well, um, that kind of takes me down a notch. So I can't do something to add? So couldn't I bring a side dish, Lord Jesus? Could, couldn't we, couldn't we complement the menu with what I have to offer? And he says, actually, no, no, it's all about me. It's just about your shepherd. So he says, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. I want to show you one way that you can do that. How do you believe? Do you believe that the shepherd will give you provision, that he'll give you strength, that he'll give you direction, that he'll give you protection and peace and abundance? You can affirm the truth about him. You are my shepherd. You can affirm the truth about yourself. I have a need. You can affirm the truth about your connection to the shepherd. David begins it in the very first verse. You are my shepherd. And you can affirm the truth that the shepherd will not fail you. Let me show you one way that that can work in a prayer that you could pray. This is just one I wrote down. You could write a thousand of them from this psalm. But here's one, one way that we can pray back to God this reality. One way we can just tell the shepherd, I believe that you can restore my soul. So you could say, affirming the truth about him, Lord Jesus, my shepherd, you promised to restore the soul of your sheep. You strengthen me. You see what that's doing? That's affirming the truth about him. Hey, shepherd, you made a promise to me. You're going to strengthen and restore me. Today I'm needy, empty, weak, I feel like the whole world is against me. I have nothing to offer, no ability to stand. I've been there. Maybe when you wake up in the morning, you're there. That's often a place where I find myself. I am needy, empty, weak. I have nothing to offer. That's affirming the truth about myself. How much did I bring? Brought side dish, right? No, I brought nothing. I have nothing to offer, no ability to stand. Affirm the truth about your connection to the shepherd. So I'm just reminding you that I'm totally dependent on you. If you don't come through, no one else can help. Do you know what that's called? That's called faith. That's the connection. Faith. I don't have it. You do have it. And I am letting you know that I'm totally dependent on you. And concluding, I know that you will meet my need because that you'll strengthen my soul because you are my shepherd and you love your sheep. You can affirm this truth that the shepherd will not fail you. That's essentially saying... John 6, 29, I believe you. This is the work that Psalm 23 pushes us to do. Not a work of some fancy thing that we can add to the Lord Jesus, that we can make his shepherding better by being especially good sheep. No, he says, believe him. Just believe him. This is the truth. This is the shepherd. He says to you, do you believe me? In John 10, we hear Another iteration of the same idea. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. They follow him because they believe him and recognize him. Here's another way you can look at that idea of belief. Do you really believe that your shepherd will lead you? That center core of Psalm 23. Do you believe that your shepherd will lead you? Do you believe that he'll stay with you? Do you believe that he will follow you? You need to affirm the truth about him and yourself and your connection to him. And here's one way you could do it. Lord Jesus, my shepherd, 
is a person who needs leadership, who needs direction. You promise to lead me. That's the truth about him. He's promised. Truth about myself, that means I don't need to find my own way. I don't need to figure everything out. I don't need to tell you how to run my life or where I want you to take me next. That's one of my mistakes. Let's go over here, shepherd. He says, no, no, no. Let's go over here. You're the sheep. I'm the shepherd, right? So this is affirming the truth about myself. Gets me out of the way for just a moment. Says, okay, shepherd, you are in charge, and I trust you. It also means that when you tell me where to go or what to do, I'll do it, even when it doesn't make any sense or it looks like a path to nowhere. You been there? That's because I trust what you've said. Because I trust you, and you've said you will lead me. That's called believing him. I believe you. So it gets really practical. Not because we somehow bring something else to the shepherd that he just somehow lacked and didn't have enough of, but because I find everything I need in him. And I just get to believe him. I just get to trust him again. Because between the cross and the crown is a section called life. And in life, we experience troubles and distresses. We experience joys and abundance. But through it all, through it all, we experience the care of the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I me personally, I, you can say it for yourself, but I can say it for me. I shall not want. Hebrews concludes with an amazing benediction. It's the benediction with which I leave you this morning. It's the benediction of the shepherd, of the sheep. And it says this. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus... The great shepherd of the sheep. By the blood of the eternal covenant, covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever.